episode 232 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is your Thursday edition, and I am Paul Spohr, joined as always on Thursdays by Eno Saris. Eno, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to hear. we got a lot of day baseball going on. Uh, Baltimore and Seattle have resumed, for those of you that uh, were maybe watching it and saw it go rain delay. A couple other games finished, a couple going on, and then a handful of night games. So uh, action-packed Thursday. I love Thursdays when the you kind of got baseball from noon Noon till midnight at least. Um, uh, well, there's not usually – it depends if there's a West Coast game or not. And thankfully there is – oh, my God, Soria gave up the game-tying home run to Preston Tucker because the Tigers couldn't score with one out and a man on third, and it burned them. God, that's so annoying. Anyway, um, we got lots to talk about. We got some injuries, um, a little bit of up, update on some injuries that we've been talking about recently, and then a handful of guys that we really want to uh, talk about today. We're going to talk more about hitters than pitchers, which is a little bit different. Um, I know folks like when we kind of veer off from the pitching talk and talk some hitters, so we got a handful of guys that are, that are really interesting right now, both on the positive and negative end of things. Let's start with the uh, injuries, though, Eno. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury hit the disabled list with a knee injury, and Slade Heathcott was called up, looking like uh, he could get some playing time on the on the strong side of the platoon. First off, what do you think about Ellsbury with regards to the injury? You know, he's off to a good start, and then let's talk a little bit about Heathcott if you think he could be somebody that uh, people should be interested in um, in any in any sort of league. That's too bad that we're going to lose him, but uh, hopefully it'll just be for about a month, which I think is uh, what they were talking about. Um, And uh, I don't really see too much usefulness out of Heathcott. I mean, he just doesn't have much power, uh, doesn't really have the kind of patience that's going to translate to the big leagues, has before this year had a a strikeout problem. So it's really kind of... uh, you know, just a, not a great set of, of, of tools. I mean, you know, maybe um, the best you could hope for is near league average power with a bad strikeout rate and a bad on base percentage and a little bit of speed. Whoa, whoa, stop. You're selling him too much. I'm too interested now. I'm way too interested. <laughs> no, I, I understand. He's got an awesome name. I mean, <laughs> oh, no, it's, that, that's the thing. You, you, you wish this was a, a superstar in the making because. Uh, we could use more Slade Heathcott just in, in, in the general baseball sphere uh, for sure. But I think I think your assessment is pretty spot on with regards to the expectations for him. If those change, we'll, we'll assess the new skills and go from there. But right now, nothing that should really be blowing up your radar. Um, yeah, oh. the, the, it is worth mentioning that he's been um, you know, hurt for a lot of the numbers that he's put up. Um, so, you know... Maybe, you know, the knee problem that he had in 2014, and uh, I guess that was, you know, actually was in 2013 too, and the shoulder problems he had in 11 and 12, you know, he's healthy now, so maybe there's uh, something to that, but the problem is that even now healthy, he's not showing any power, Um, and it's just really, even if he is different because he's healthy now, then the, the one thing I could say for him is that maybe he'll make a little bit more contact sure. and uh, take advantage of that speed. But I think they're mostly promoting him because he's the guy who can uh, play center field best. And, uh, and that makes sense, and that'll help, help help get you in the lineup a little bit there. I, I hear you. There, there could be an untapped level just because, like you said, the experience is a little light given how many years he's been in the minor leagues. Uh, 346 games, even though he's been in there for seven seasons, that's the injury miss time. This was a guy who was on a top 100 list over at BA before 2013. He's had prospect buzz before, um, you know, at least ranking in the, in the Yankees lists. So, yeah, he, he could take a jump. Uh, and again, if the, if those skills change, we'll reassess. But right now, just not something that that uh, is really going to be blowing up the radar. Uh, Drew Pomerantz hit the disabled list with a shoulder strain. It sounded like something that had been in play uh, for a while, at least, and, and might have been affecting some of his performance. And maybe explains why he's been so wobbly. Pomerantz has kind of bounced between good and and, and bad uh, without much in between this year. And uh, two five-walk games within his last three starts. Uh, and then Boston, a, a great start against Boston in the middle. And that kind of volatility uh, also suggests that this shoulder strain was probably wreaking havoc on him well before it finally put him on the disabled list. This was, this was a guy I loved coming into the year, uh, and it hasn't obviously worked out quite as I expected. 
I have to wonder how much that the health piece has been there all year. But uh, either way, just the fact that he's going to take some time off to get healthy, I think that's going to be better uh, for him in the long term. This is still a guy I like, but um, you know, it's going to take a deep league or obviously a, a, a an abundance of DL spots for me to still hang on. In a shallow league, I would move on from an injured Pomeranz if I was forced to uh, from a DL standpoint. What do you think of Drew Pomeranz? Yeah, I mostly had him in deep leagues anyway, so I'm just going to try and hold on to him as long as I can. Um, the uh, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but the kind of the reason why he's still pretty good despite not really having a changeup, he's one of these multiple breaking ball guys. He's got, yeah, you know, we talked about it. I'm trying, I'm trying to like you know publish this post on him, but he has to like put together a healthy, you know, nice run of starts so that people will read the piece. But uh, <laughs> I hear you. you. Know, I got, uh, I, I've got, uh, you know, he, he's definitely got multiple breaking balls, two or three different looks out of that breaking ball. I think you could probably say he's kind of like a cutter slider curve guy um, with that knuckle curve, and um, he's managed to keep the the home runs down, which is something you look for when you have bad platoon splits. So that hasn't been a problem. The Babbitt really hasn't been a problem. Uh, the walks haven't. He's not like walking every lefty he sees. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I think some of this. You know, the velocity is a little bit down. The grounder is a little bit down. I wonder if um, that's, you know, maybe he's having trouble keeping the ball down with, with the shoulder thing or, or finishing his pitches. So, you know, uh, uh, but, you know, they haven't said that it's a big deal. You know, I, I don't think that this is uh, going to turn into a Ryu situation. No, I don't either. I, I think it is a situation where some time off. Uh, could could be exactly what he needs too, because uh, furthermore to your point about uh, you know how much this might have affected him, the ground ball rate way down too uh, at a career low 39%. Just not just not a place that he's really been. Uh, he's been much better than that uh, throughout his career. 44% for his career. Pomerantz was at 46% last year. 50% in a short stint with uh, with Colorado the year before that. So. I'm expecting better things. I'm trying to hold him where I can. I agree with you. I have mostly in deep leagues, so it won't be hard to DL him and kind of wait. Uh, but yeah, Drew Pomeranz, don't don't take him off your radar just because of this injury and some a little bit of an uninspiring performance to date. Speaking of Yunjin Ryu, you mentioned him. We talked about him last episode. They said that he was mulling the surgery, and then not too much later, we heard it's going to happen, and it happened today. And so he's done for the year. Um, this is worse. Worse. It was a torn labrum. Oh God, it was. Yeah. Oh so. wow. See, I, I hadn't seen that. I just saw that he got he got it. Um, I just seen that he had the surgery on Twitter. I did. I did not know that. That's terrible. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's. You know, there's like three pitchers that have come back from a torn labrum that have done well, and for what it's worth, he's youngish. So um, these are relevant pitchers. Animal Sanchez, we talk about a lot. Yep. Um, uh, Michael Pineda's in the middle of trying to do it. Uh, you know, we can't say he's done it necessarily. I mean, he's at least back and, and doing um, pitching and being successful. It's a matter of still staying healthy. But at least right. when he's when Pineda's pitching, he's been pretty fantastic uh, the last right. two years. And then, of course, Roger Clemens. But that guy's pretty good. There's a bit of an asterisk. Well, who knows what he took to make it better. <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, you know what? Let me see if I can get those two in touch then because I want Yenjin Ru to come back and be the guy that was awesome. And so if Clemens has got a little few things maybe in the medicine cabinet that can help him out, why not? Uh, no, but I hear you. It, this is a labor repair. That's that's rough, obviously. Done for now. What do you think? I'm, I'm, I'm dropping. I have him in auto new for $12. And you're done. Uh, yeah, I'm done because – that's twelve dollars, which is turning into fourteen dollars next year. Plus, it's twelve dollars I can have in free agency, or six dollars at least that I could have in free agency this year, and um, it's just going to be a dead weight on my shoulders. I think he's a better pickup for two to five dollars next year um, in, in mixed leagues where you you're kind of hoping but not banking. Uh, that's that's where I would sit because sometimes these things, even if even if he does turn out to be good, sometimes they can take more than a year. I mean, this isn't. That's a, what I was going to ask elbow. you. If you, if, you not an elbow thing. if you see something deeper than just the year, because we know he's out the rest of this year, but then will Yunjin Ruby somebody that doesn't come back until you know August of next year? So it's a wasted 2016 as well for the most part. And this is him. tough. They have him in 2017 too, so there's no real reason for them, you know, to rush him back. And if you look at how Pineda's history, uh, you know, he tried to come back after a full year off. And then um, didn't quite make it, and there were other problems, and you know he went back on the DL. 
Um, and even if you look back at uh, Anibal Sanchez, it's, it's harder to see exactly what uh, how it worked for Sanchez because he was in the minor leagues. But um, I think there were definitely two or three years where he you know didn't really cross more than 50 innings. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we're going to close one more injury here that's another update, but actually a positive update, also a shoulder situation. It's Drew Smiley, and uh, we're seeing now that the tweet's kind of floating around. I retweeted it myself. Mark Topkin is saying um, that Smiley said that his tear in his labrum is not significant, and he and the doctors are confident that he can pitch through it after an eight-week rehab. So what was looking like a very similar situation is now uh, two months, obviously, so it's still a long time out. But that's just after the All-Star break. It completely changed the picture. Obviously, he was cut in tons of leagues, understandably, tons of redraft leagues. And now I'm sure people are rushing back out to go get him and and try to stash him back on their DL. What do you think of this news? Uh, does this encourage you? Uh, in, in sort of dynasty leagues, I guess. But, um, you know, you know who also had a, a minor tear was Doolittle. And, you know, I did buy some shares of his, um, just figuring he's cheap. He could be the he could be the closer. But the problem is that Doolittle's thrown around ninety. I've heard. Oh, really? Yeah. I had so, I hadn't been following his uh, his rehab. That's terrible. That's that's literally terrible. And uh, who knows? It was his first. Uh, well, actually, he's made three rehab appearances and. None of the major sites have, uh, you know, the news news sites have the velocity up. Are you just following uh, tweets? Yeah, but I've, you know, I, you know, I'm out here in Oakland and I've I've seen people talking about it. So uh, I haven't seen him in particular, um, just because of scheduling. Uh, I'm not sure if I see him next week. But the ca- low 90s, then it's it's a problem. It's uh, and, and it's. And if Smiley drops, really, Smiley has a pretty thin margin of error. I mean, if he drops, let's say he drops two miles an hour, which is less than Doolittle, he's 88. Yeah, that's not good. That that there, you're right. Um, if if there's there's any sort of drop, uh, it becomes it can can become pretty critical quickly for Smiley. Um, and and that's why we have to I be just, careful. So you know. You can maybe go back out and get them, especially in an unlimited DL league where if you're the first one to get them, go ahead and stash them. But other than that, this I'm still not that excited. This still seems like a situation where, okay, he pitches through it, but then it crops back up, and we're right back where we started, where he still has to get it. In fact, not even where we started. We're pushed further back timeline-wise. I understand why he's doing it. I don't blame Smiley one bit. But in terms of the fantasy implications, it seems like a situation where – uh, we could just be delaying something that's a little bit inevitable. Not quite the same as the, the TJ guys where you, you almost know they're going to get it uh, eventually, but I, I don't know. So ho- hopefully this this works out well for Smiley, but I'm still a little bit nervous. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about some some hot performers lately, or some some interesting performers because they're not all hot. Um, this first guy is, and I'm really interested on your take. I wrote him up last week, and – I didn't see much, but I watched a little bit of last night's start uh, after I got home from softball, um, and I'm very interested by Tim Lincecum right now. And 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 the thing of it is, is I'm still not seeing a 208 ERA being you know legitimate at all. But one of the things that they were pinpointing was the high strike, and I believe you were the one to do the expose last year on Chris Young and his high strike. And so I'm wondering if you're seeing anything similar there or if you see anything behind this success for Lincecum, or is it just a nice run? Because the supporting skills aren't there to really back this up at all. And yet when you watch him, you're like, this isn't that flimsy to me. I mean, I, I, I see a quality version of a pitcher here. Yeah, well, you know, there's one <laughs> – I didn't get this one up yet. I have to have this one up. But uh, uh, there's uh, there's one way that – is easy to uh, to 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 notice is that um, he's he's changed the way he's pitched uh, when it comes to hard percentage. Um, that, that's a number that Bill Petty came up with um, to kind of show you uh, the you know how well a pitcher is hitting the middle of the zone, and then there's edge percentage, which tells you how good how well they're doing um, you know on the edges of the zone, mm-hmm. and. This year, Lincecum has the highest heart percentage of his career. So, to some extent, he's um, 
he's avoiding bad counts a little bit better by um, just throwing it down the middle. <laughs> and, and, and not with electric stuff either. Because I, 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 no. saw, I saw your findings there and I was like, well, this, this isn't even that, you know, it, it's, that, that's even scarier a little bit if they start yeah, catching yeah. up to it. Yeah, I think it is a little scary. Um, and uh, uh, you know, the other thing that the other thing that is um, interesting is that uh, I, you know, this is a little bit more anecdotal, but I I'm seeing more changeups in um, fastball counts. And and if you look at his if you look at his fastball percentage, especially his four seam, I mean, he's he's made up with a little bit of it with the two seam, but. Um, by by throwing the two seam more, but in general, if you add his four seam to his two seam, it's still the lowest fastball percentage of his career. Yep. And when I and when I talked to him last year, um, he was totally obvious about, uh, or totally uh, upfront about the fact that he was hiding his fastball, as, as he should be. Right, as he should be. And I think that it's just gotten to the point where he. I mean, he's. I think he's almost at the break breaking point where you know. He's throwing, he's throwing junk sixty percent of the time and fastballs forty percent of the time, and um, you know, either his arm's going to fall off or, you know, or he's going to never get into the good counts in order to be, you know, to actually put people away. I mean, you see his strikeout rate is down. Sure. Even though this stuff is going on, and it, and it's not that he's in great counts, so it's you can't say his command is really that good because he's behind in the count twenty percent. No. It's basically his league, his league average. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. With Lincecum, I came, I, I didn't come to any conclusion that really made me feel good about this. Um, and then the only thing that started to hearten me a little bit yesterday, and, and and just from watching, was I said that, like I said, they were highlighting the the fact that he's going for the high strike, and I was like, well, you know, I would definitely want to ask you know about that. Like I said, Chris, well, Young, that, that is that is the only thing that I saw too, and it's not necessarily the vertical location of the pitch because that's something you can track on Brooks. And you know, when I when I tried to use that um, I vertical location vertical pitch location on average um, hasn't changed much except he's throwing he's throwing the highest sinkers of his career I don't know if that's a good thing you normally don't you normally throw sinkers lower yeah uh, but the other thing that he's doing and that 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 could be true I think he's he's also throwing the changeups pretty high so he's actually this is something uh, that came up when um, I was trying to figure out uh, Joel, Joel Peralta Mm-hmm. Uh, and I uh, was doing a piece on the on the on the bullpen for the Dodgers, and I found this Jonah Carey interview where he told Jonah Carey that he throws hanging uh, hanging changeups on purpose. Oh my God! Did he say why? And he said that uh, the the velocity difference was big enough, and you know people just uh, like couldn't handle it. Like people just didn't expect it. Interesting. And so now you you look at uh, Lincecum's splitter. He's throwing the splitter more than he ever has before. And he's throwing it as high as he's ever thrown it before, and you know, so there's there's something to that. Right? He's like, I think he, there's he's changing something up that's like, in terms of where he's putting the pitches is, is a little you, bit different. Are and then you also, Lincecum again, or was that was that still on Peralta? That was Peralta. Oh, but, okay. You no, know, but Lincecum now uh, he's throwing his, his splitters on average as high as he's ever thrown them, and he's throwing his sinker as high as he's ever thrown it. Um, and his four seam has more, has uh, recovered some of its rise. It, it's ride. It, it used to have a lot of vertical movement um, and uh, and be sort of a rising fastball. In the last couple of years, he's lost that. But this year, uh, he's got a little bit of that back. So I think he, it is this sort of up in the zone mentality. And even though it's not easy to see with the average pitch location, we're talking about you know slivers of an inch. Um, and it doesn't, it, it's not obvious. I think there are times when he goes to like a high pitch. I was going to say, maybe it's, with pitches. yeah, it's, it's also the context too. Cause it's, it's not the raw volume the, the, yeah. when you're looking at the numbers, it just isn't there to say that he's like really attacking the zone at a higher level, uh, up, uh, up in the zone more often all that much. In fact, on pitches in the strike zone, um, in, in like the upper part of the strike zone they're actually down from last year and then in terms of pitches out of the strike zone they are up so he is 
that that's definitely a part where maybe he's trying to get people to chase above the zone, but it's not up egregiously to where you're like, oh, that's definitely the key to winning. But I think it is contextual, and that's why sometimes the numbers uh, – or not sometimes, often the numbers alone can't tell you what you need to see. That's why sometimes you got to check it out too, and um, I, I'm glad I watched the, what I was able to watch from his start yesterday because I started to see a little bit of that with Lincecum. So bottom line it here um, – are you buying him? And if so, what kind of what's the lowest uh, uh, league type to entry here? I, I can't imagine 10 team mix, but if if that's the answer, so be it. But what kind of league type are you going to be buying Lincecum, if at all, right now? I'm not buying him. I'm not buying him in any league because what I think he's doing is when he needs a strike, sometimes he's throwing a high changeup or a high sinker, and that's confounding people. They're not expecting that sort of pitch, um, and either they're going to figure it out or those pitches aren't going to go. Uh, either they'll figure it out and they'll hit it for home runs more at his at his career rate, which yeah. uh, right now I don't think that his his current career uh, home run rate is sustainable. No, not at all. And that was another. Or he'll miss with those pitches, and his walk rate will continue to climb back to his historical level. So, you know, either way, either more walks or more homers, they're coming. He's bad by uh, strikeouts minus walks, which is uh, one of the best in season predictors. Um, and it's even with all this sort of talking around the issue that we're doing and the best, you know, the best analysis we can give on him, we're not finding really definitive things where you can no. say, oh, you know, yeah, th- nothing to get geeked about or it's more movement this year or something. Yeah, I can't e- I can't even find that one thing to be like, oh, guys, this is the one get on the train here. I still think right. super reliever is the is the right move for him. Obviously, they're not going to do it, especially with a 208 ERA and eight starts. But uh, that if, if you did get lucky, folks, I'm telling you, get off the train. Do not confuse the uh, the real life aspect of, of how fun it is to watch Lincecum and how fun it is to cheer for him. At least in my opinion, I like doing both of those things. Do not confuse that with the fantasy success. If you want to keep having fantasy success, sell. I encourage you so hard to sell for anything. Um, okay, next guy up we got to talk about because you've recently written about him, and I'm very interested to hear your findings. And that's uh, our good buddy Ruby De La Rosa, who we affectionately call Rubby. And uh, so anytime we say that, folks, know that we know it's wrong. It's just a fun way to say it. <laughs> so Rubby's been up to something uh, this year, and it's been pretty pretty solid. You know, the 408 ERA is not going to jump off the page at you, but almost everything else will. Uh, the home runs are, are high, and that's why the ERA is high, but everything else, strikeouts are way up. Walks are substantially down. Swinging strike rates way up. Ground ball rate has held, so it has you know he didn't have to alter that at all to get any of these gains. Uh, the 111 whip, saying that he's not putting guys on, but the mistakes are just really being punished, and that's where the 1.4 homer per nine rate comes in. So we're not flawless here with uh, with Rubby, but things are are moving in the right direction. Got to be feeling good. Uh, what have you seen? Is this something to get excited about, or is he another one where watch out? It's it's not legit. Well, here's the bad. I think the bad thing first is that he so far had a homer problem in his career. Um, he he hangs sliders, and uh, his his hard percentage is also uh, career uh, worst or, or best. Or, I mean, the career highest. So, um, and it's higher actually than Lincecum. So he he's throwing to the middle of the zone, and and to some extent that can explain his homers per nine, plus the fact that he's his breaking ball is not that great, and. Um, He's had you know problems with hanging sliders in the past, so that, I think that I think that it would be uh, rem- I think it would be a mistake to to uh, regress him too hard in the homer department. Maybe uh, and and none of the and none of the projection systems do. They all have him hit, you know giving up about a homer for nine. Yeah, and I believe in that. I, I, so yeah, that's the. I wouldn't either. You know, the 15% homer per, per fly ball rate is high, but it's not um, egregious for what he's done in the past. He's a 13% and where he career guy. And, and Exactly, and where he pitches and what we've seen from him. Yeah, so 100% agree there that, that this isn't just bad luck. Some of this is on him. You cannot expect it to plummet, but the 1-1, one, one, one point, 1.0 at least, that's the, that's the least that I would go for him right now. But t- tell us more about Rubby on the positive side because uh, I, can, I can live with what you're saying so far. Yeah, I think that he actually can strike out more people. Um, I agree. You know, I'm, I'm seeing you know, a, a, an 11, almost a 10, a 10.7% swing strike rate and an 8, 8% strikeout rate, I think – that there's a little bit of give there where you could get you know, 8.5. And if, if you start getting that strikeout rate up closer to, to one per inning and he keeps his walk rate where it is, 
Um, then you then you start to have a guy who's exciting, even if he gives up on one homer per nine. And you know the reason that you can believe in that is that the slider has gotten better, and the slider has gotten tighter in terms of um, it's gotten two ticks on the on the radar gun, so it's gotten harder. Uh, but also, it's gotten tighter in terms of this the the the, uh, the spray chart, the heat map. The if you look at the movement on the pitch in terms of um, every slider, every breaking ball has like a, you know, sometimes it, it goes like this, sometimes it goes like this, and sure. you know, has a, you know, the movement has like a big spread. They'll um, have some tails. Yeah, and, and his, fly off where they. Where, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And his spread has gotten tighter, so he, you know, he he's he's hanging fewer uh, breaking balls. Not having as much as many outliers. Yeah, and and they're moving more similarly. And so he can command it better. So, um, you know, all these all these things, plus the, a change up that Pedro Martinez, uh, you know, taught him, plus the fact that he's, he's, you know, managed to keep his 94 mile an hour velocity. You know, that it still has the makings of, of in terms of stuff, the best pitcher in, in that uh, rotation. I, you know, I love Chase Anderson. Sure. And, you know, I think he's got a hot, way higher floor because. The changeup, the curve, and the sinker that he's throwing—they're going to keep his ground ball rate high. Chase Anderson, that is, or yeah, Chase okay, Anderson. Yeah. So, so higher floor for Anderson, higher ceiling for Rubby. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chase doesn't throw much higher, harder than 91, and um, you know, even though his two changeups are good, um, you know, I think a, a great slider from from um, De La Rosa could could separate the two. But uh, I actually, I you know, I like Chase a lot. I think Chase, because of the high floor, makes maybe for a better pickup in certain leagues. And I think both of these guys need to be uh, need to be owned. But, you know, with Chase, I'm a little bit more like, well, you can throw him out there most days, you know. Sure. With, with De La Rosa, I'm like, well, you want him on your roster. It's hard for me to tell you exactly when to use him. But if you were in Miami or in San Diego, then I could say, yeah, you, you should pitch him. No, I, I hear you on that, and in fact, um, you know, recommended him as a uh, as a guy to use yesterday in DFS because of where he was pitching. That home run issue was unlikely to be a, a major problem in Miami specifically. So no, I def I definitely agree with you there, um, and your assessment on, on Chase. I think honestly, as weird uh, as it is to say own two Diamondbacks pitchers, if you had the two of them together, they might you know, smashed together to make a really solid, what, uh, I don't know, 100 and innings, what, 340 inning of, of high quality. You know, if you, if you really smush them together, I think that that could be pretty good. I think I'm going to be a little bit more careful on the, on the De La Rosa side and probably hope to get, you know, uh, 250, 300 innings out of the two of them. I think. So like you said, go with chase all the time, but spot, spot, uh, rubby to, uh, supplement those numbers and then kind of, Get your strikeout rate up. <laughs> yeah, treat them as as one super pitcher where you're using Rubby's strikeouts to to really boost the package. I I get you. I I, I like both these guys. These are two guys we've been talking about since the the winter, and uh, they're 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 treating us well so far with regards to uh, making us making us look smart. Especially you with Chase Anderson. I know that's that's your guy, uh, and I'm so glad I jumped on that bandwagon. He's been great. Uh, let's talk some hitters now. I, I mentioned that we're going to talk hitters, and then all we do is talk pitchers throughout the uh, injuries and to start. But now it's hitters the rest of the way. And we're starting with Ryan Braun, who, uh, you know, hitting pretty well lately on a bit of a power kick. Uh, he's regained some of his lost walk, the, the lost walk percentage from last year. He's got a 268 batting average on balls in play, which is kind of holding him down uh, with a similar batting average. But Ryan Braun, everything else is looking pretty darn good uh, from what we usually expect from him. The pop, you know, 10 homers already. He had 19 all of last year. Strikeout rates really in line with, with uh, the the two recent or the three recent years. Before, when he was a super-duper star, the dude wasn't even striking out. It was ridiculous. But everything's in line right now, except for that Babbitt that I mentioned, which might be holding down his batting average. So maybe we could expect a, a batting average boost along with the pop that we've seen from Braun. This, it's appealing what we've seen the, the, thus far. I didn't get him anywhere just because there were guys I liked around him better. I wasn't necessarily anti-Braun. But what do you think? What's your assessment of him right now? Is this is this a profile you're buying into, uh, holding, or, or pushing away from? I mean, it's pretty amazing. It, it, it looks fairly vintage, and it's it's another reason why you got to hang on to, to guys. If, if the power is the only thing that's missing out of somebody, 
that you're that you're holding on to. Uh, you got to remember to 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 that power can come in bunches like this. And uh, when we were just saying that you know, you know, Braun may not hit 15 homers this year. A couple of weeks ago, I was saying that I think, mm-hmm. and uh, then he goes on a tear for for three four weeks, and uh, now he looks like he might you know he looks like the Braun of older. He might hit 30 and and steal you know 15 or something. So right? it's crazy. And uh, I you know it's just it's just really hard with him. I mean, did he just get back on the juice or? You know, is this is he is he healthy? You know, this we were thinking that the the thumb might be finally healthy this year. You you mentioned that multiple times that that's yeah. something that maybe we could count on. You know, and you talk. Let's just jump into the next guy too, because I think they they're they're only tied together because of their MVP race. But uh, I'm, I'm tying them together because I feel like their draft spot was similar as well, and that's Matt Kemp. And I'm going to use the, I'm going to go arbitrary endpoint on you, uh, but it's it's the it's the day that that Braun hit his second homer. He had one homer through April 27th. To that point, uh, on April 27th, uh, Braun was at a 5.47 OPS. Kemp was at an 8.78. Well, since then we got Braun with a 10.80 OPS and nine homers, and Kemp at a 400 OPS with zero homers. They've gone opposite ways after starting opposite ways too. So. Obviously, with the most recent work uh, going in favor of Braun, you know that's probably who you're going to favor going forward. I understand that, but what do you make of Kemp right now? Is he somebody? Because I, I, injuries are the only reason that we have not trusted these two in the past, and obviously the the, the juice piece with with Braun. But what are you doing with with Kemp? Um, and then as it relates to Braun, do you have him significantly behind Braun, or are they closer than it looks? What's going on with Matt Kemp right now? Because it's been bad. Well, I mean, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, the the injuries because I think that it's a little bit more worrisome in Kemp's case because they were arthritic hips. And 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 that was discussed this this off season, and uh, I think on this very show multiple times. And then he goes out and and starts off hot, and I think that everyone kind of put that in the back of their mind, and it's like, well, now that we're really kind of in the grind of the season, uh, not even in the hardest part of it, obviously, but into the grind, 40 games in. He's been he's been garbage in May. I mean, it's just not there for Matt Kemp, and you have to wonder um, if you're paying attention. You have to wonder if the hips are not at play here. Yeah, and you know, thumb versus hip. You know, which is worse? Uh, I, I would say that the thumb thing, at least he Braun had his surgery and and tried to get it fixed. Where the the you know, the hips thing for Kemp is just arthritic and is just going to get worse. And mm-hmm. uh, you know. Kemp is maybe uh, six months younger, and uh, so it's it's hard to point to youth really as being a, a thing. And I think that you know all things being equal, if they were both as healthy as they could be at thirty, you know, thirty one right now, um, Braun would be the better better player. Um, you know, other than Kemp's crazy crazy peak year, uh, I'd say that most years uh, Braun has been better. No, I I, th- I think that that's completely well. Fair. I'm not looking at Kemp's early early career where he Kemp used he had to be a superstar. Yeah, but but you know, and just in ter- maybe it's a plate discipline bias because I I just as much as I like the way that Kemp sprays with power to all fields, um, he's never had the same kind of plate discipline as Braun. No, and he and yeah. I don't know that you know even though his his height is pro- his peak is probably higher because i i totally understand why kemp feels that he deserved that 2011 mvp obviously after the fact with the uh with the ped stuff too but you know the b- both were excellent but i think braun his second third fourth years are probably a, a good bit uh, you know a, a good jump better than uh kemp's so i i, I yeah. give braun the edge there and then obviously braun has the edge right now but what are you gonna? Are you gonna sell Kemp at at a at a trough here? Are you just holding? Um, what what are you doing with Kemp in in leagues where you you just can't cut him? I mean, and not that you would, but you know, even in a ten team, I, I think it'd be stupid to even try to cut him. So you can't cut him. What are you doing with Kemp? You trading him out he's or still, just benching? He still hits the ball hard. He still has about half um, the the softest percentage of of the league average. He he hits about eight percent. Uh, softly in the league is more like 15, 16%. So okay. he still hits the ball really hard. He still has an above average line drive rate and has for his career. It's down a little bit, but it's not that a lot. He's hitting 
you know, too many grounders, and that might have something to do with his his homer issue, and it might have something to do with his hips. But and and that actually we're getting pretty close to to ground grounder rate being um, stabilized. In fact, it might be stabilized. Um, so I would revise most of his um, homer totals down. But if you look at his rest of season protections, they are uh, down. I mean, they're they're projecting him to finish with you know 12 to 15 homers this year, um, and that's that's got to be down. That's but wrong. even if he does that and he finishes the season just to his projections and makes that would make him a you know a 260 hitter with 15 homers and 15 stolen bases For and camp. I think that's ownable in most leagues. Sure. Camp. No, you, you have to remember that even though it's not going to be Kemp, it might be a useful player. Yeah, and and I, like I said, uh, you can't, you can't cut him exactly. That the point, the last point you made is the, is the right one. Just because a guy's failing the expectation of where you drafted him doesn't automatically mean useless. Obviously, um, once you get to about the, I don't know, 15th, 16th round, it, it, at that point, a 15th rounder, if he's not meeting expectations, he probably is useless. Everyone beyond that, uh, that sort of situation. But but a, f- a first 10 round guy, you know, just because they aren't meeting what you expected as a second rounder or a third rounder, wherever Kemp was going, doesn't automatically mean that he's no longer useless. He might be now playing down to a 10th or 12th rounder, but you still have to hold him. I don't even think I would try to sell out right now. It would be too low, but I am still going to throw some names at you just to see where where, where folks might be at. What about uh, if you're offered, let's just say you need pitching, because um, pretty easy to come up with one, one for ones there is. Uh, either of the Diamondbacks are probably too little, but what about like Scott Casimir? Uh, as a return for for Kemp, uh, for Kemp. to to well, that's pretty decent. <laughs> that's pretty decent actually. I mean, yeah, you you you're worried that he gets traded out of there, yeah, uh, to a, into a worse park. But he's still in the American League and he's still pitching pretty well, even on the road. Um, and he's the kind of guy that could play ace for you in in a short term situation if you need um, pitching. And, and because of his age and injury history, he's available. Uh, they're both kind of older uh, guys where injury is is a possible thing. I, yeah, I, I I might take Kazmir for my camp if uh, if I need pitching. I think I might too. Um, I think that that's that's that, that's a pretty fair area. Um, I mean, like, would you take would you take Kazmir for your Shinsu Chu? Oh, man, because I think we can put Kemp kind of close to Shinsu Shinsu yeah. like. As long as you're not in an OBP league or whatever. I, th- I think so. that that's also fair. Um, I think that's, that's decent. Blackman, yeah, that'd be a good, that'd be a good what sell. Blackman? What's what that? About Blackman? What about Blackman? I think I might keep my Blackman. I would too because I, I thought that by the time uh, you know I really poured over all the offensive stuff because I came into the season you know into the winter like ah Blackman he's somebody that's going to fall down in drafts and he should. By the time draft season hit, I was like nope, he should not be falling nearly as far as he is. Because even from May on, he was at a 2020 pace. No, I, I'd keep Blackman just because if he has another April 2014 somewhere this season, then he's right back at at last year's levels. It only takes the one great month because I think regular level uh, Charlie Blackman at this upper 70 uh, upper 700s OPS, I think it's perfectly useful uh, with the counting numbers that he's going to give you. So if he has the super month, then you're talking low 800s pretty easily. So we got we got something for we got something for people. It, it goes something like Blackman, uh, Chu Kemp or Blackman Kemp Chu something Correct. like that. Correct. And Kemp, Kemp Chu, however you that that can be personal preference. They're that close, but I think Blackman is the number one there. Uh, I got I got I'm going to be very interested to hear where you would slot this guy. Obviously, he wouldn't be close to these three that we've been talking about. But uh, Gregory Polanco has been a, a bit of a disappointment. Obviously, that, that Pirates team as a whole has been disappointing, and he's been a key part of that because you know he's actually worse than he was last year. His triple slash is down, uh, giving him from a 650 OPS to a 623. Now, the one thing holding him afloat fantasy-wise uh, for Gregory Polanco is the stolen base total. He's already got 11 uh, in 13 tries, and he was 14 for 19 last year in 89 games. So that's kind of saving him. And keeping Polanco's value, you know, relatively decent on that ESPN player rater. He's 33rd in overall uh, in outfielder value, which is one spot ahead of Kemp. So maybe they're not so far off. But um, yeah. anyway, yeah. So th- th- there we there we go. Now 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 we're bringing another name into this mix. 
What do you think of what we've seen from from Gregory Polanco so far? Do you expect it to get better? And then we'll talk about lumping him into that that quartet uh, or that that trio that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean the, that the fact that we brought up the batted ball stats for Kemp, I think, is is where uh, Polanco needs some help. I mean, um, he he's his soft percentage is about twice as much uh, twice as, as big as, as Kemp. So he's, he's hitting the ball softly. Uh, he's hitting about three grounders for every fly ball. So this is not a, a, a situation where he's set up for power and yet his, his pull percentage is uh, over 50%, which is kind of what you would want to see from a pull hitter. So what we're seeing is a guy who's pulling the ball on the ground a lot. And uh, that's going to lead to a bad BABIP. I mean, not only, uh, is he a lefty and so he can be shifted, but it's just not conducive to power. If, you, if you're if you going to pull the ball, you got to get it up in the air. Exactly. Um, and so he he needs to – I think he may need to do a little bit of figuring out who he is because I still think that the eye at the plate is good. It's got He's got a good swing strike rate so he can make contact. Um, you know, he's, he swings less than, than most people, uh, than the league average, and his walk and strikeout rates are both within – uh, shouting distance of league average or, or at league average and have the possibility of getting better again because he's shown that ability in the past. So in terms of walks and strikeouts, you know, an, an approach to discerning balls and strikes, I think he's good. He could swing a few more times at balls in the zone. He's not great there, but that, that could be an aggression thing. But I think the reason he's really fallen behind this year is that he's, he's you know, decided on one level he's going to be a slap hitter. He's going to put the ball on the ground and run. And on the other level, he's going to be a power hitter. He's going to pull the ball. And, you know, he needs to do one or the other. Yeah. It, it, something has to give here with Polanco. I, I, I don't think he'll get sent out. Um, I think I think they are going to be committed to, to kind of riding this out. It is only 38 games, but it is an extension from last year when he, you know, hit the ground running uh, after he debuted for the Pirates. And then Gregory Polanco became a, kind of a, a nothing uh, asset down down the stretch. And so far this year, it's been rough, like I said, outside of the speed. Definitely holding. Uh, you know, the owners, you know, don't forget the fact that he's 23 years old. Bingo. That's yeah. a huge part. And, and, you know, this doesn't. You know, because he was a hot prospect, just because he's not off to a great start for his career, this doesn't mean that he that wasn't deserving of the prospect run that he got. Some guys just take longer, and I know that's tough, and that doesn't mean that you you have to still treat him the way you treated him when he was that prospect coming up. But I wouldn't just outright give up on a guy like this. You you probably paid you know somewhat decent uh, a de- decent price for Polanco. You got to stick stick with him. Obviously, keeper league that's easy to say. But in but in redraft leagues, let's bring him into that that trio, make it a quartet. I think Blackman's still leading, but is Polanco in that Kemp uh, Chu area? You know, if you add up. Uh, homers and steals. I mean, if you're agnostic, I mean, if you're points league, or or if you just agnostic about power and, and speed, then he belongs in the group because he's got you know that 11 steals and the one homer, so that's that's a 12 or whatever. And, and, and like I said, one one spot ahead of Kemp on the outfielders in the uh, in, uh, and player radar. And Kemp and Kemp, if you add them together, is is at a five. You know, four uh, was at four stolen bases and one homer. So yeah. Or, or six, something like that. So, you know, there there is um, the possibility. That's why he's hanging with them. But I think that your needs are probably more clear than that in most leagues. And you, you either have a power need or you have a stolen base league and lead, need. And um, in that case, it, it'd be pretty easy to, to shuffle between these guys. I mean, you know, Blackman's still the guy for me in terms of an even line at the top. Uh, Chu and Kemp, you kind of you don't want to necessarily play them every day. You know, you kind of want to play Chu at home and you kind of want to play Kemp away from the, uh, you know, San Diego and, um, and Chu sit him versus lefties, even if the Rangers don't. Right. Yeah. Chu sit him versus lefty. Polanco probably sit him versus lefties. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Uh, to get the most out of him. So those three guys, not, none of them are, are every starters. And then, you know, Polanco is going to have the most stolen bases. Uh, Chu's going to have a little bit more, um, you know, balance line maybe. Yeah, uh, I, w- I would say you probably like the 
the runs, RBIs, and homers will all be solid, uh, but not he's not going to be that standout. So I think, but no no speed from Chu. I don't think he's going to run with the injuries that have nicked, uh, yeah, that's nagging true. him. I don't think he's going to run. So well, you do have that speed. Has the chance out. for the best. Kemp probably has the chance for the most balanced line in terms of homers and steals at the yeah. end of the season. No, you're you're 100 right in that aspect. Uh, I, I was thinking more of the the runs RBIs piece where I think Chu could be. be Pretty close to balance there, even though he is a leadoff hitter because uh, he'll drive in guys and they will drop him in the lineup at times, too. In fact, I'm not even sure if he bats leadoff all that often uh, these days. I, I know that they do bounce him around in Texas, but those guys are all close. I think it is the de- need dependent. Um, but, yeah, if, if you could somehow get Blackman for any of them, then do that because we, we had him as the clear winner in that grouping. Uh, next up on the docket here is somebody that uh, is well beyond this this quartet now that we've de- developed. Uh, he, he would definitely be the clear runaway, and that's Justin Upton, who I tweeted out simply last night that Justin Upton is so excellent because Justin Upton is so excellent. He's so good. <laughs> um, and I just, I'm, a, I'm such a huge fan, I have been for years. Just really like this guy's game, um, and I don't think he's treated like the star that he is, and I still think he's on the cusp of, of superstardom, and so far this year we're seeing it. However, Justin Upton is not averse to a hot May, so I want to see like a hot June before I get too, too excited <laughs> about the superstar season. I still think he's going to have a star season, but everything's coming together. He's on a crazy pace right now. Uh, Justin Upton right now, if you, if you pace it out, 43 homers, 32 stolen bases. That's why the pace game is silly. They're going to come down. I know that. But eight stolen bases already matches his 2013 and 2014 totals. He had eight in each of those years. Five homers, 15 ribbies from May matches last year's totals, but in 10 fewer games. So he's been electric right now. Justin Upton's crushing the ball. He's running. Everything's working out. Petco, Schmetco, he does not care. Um, so that, that trade for, for a dope outfielder is working. The other guy's on the DL, and the other guy, like we said, is, uh, is, is struggling to be an all-day play in 10 and 12-team mixed leagues. So how do you feel about Upton? Do you see that this? Uh, do you see the speed being legit at all? This is a, a, a four-time, 18 or more stolen base guy between 18 and 21 for four years, uh, but but that was in his early 20s as well. What do you think of Justin Upton? You know the triples and doubles are there, and and there's a, a four-component speed score on our site that that's um, a Bill James thing where he kind of adds doubles and triples and, and, and stolen bases and subtracts caught stealings and stuff like that. Uh, his four component speed score is the best of his career, Boom. Uh, which is kind of interesting. And way up from the, from the last couple of years. Yeah. Almost double last year. Well, last year was below the last two years was below average actually where five is average. He was at 4.5 and 3.6. This year's at 7.6. Um, and uh, that's pretty exciting. I think that, you know, even with, regression he's got a good chance at 20 stolen bases again um and i think even with regression on the power side uh i think 30 is probably a lock for him in terms of homers agreed uh so you know a good 30 20 season no matter what the batting average is he's gonna have a great season um yeah it's been great I, the batting average yeah i will been. say that, that we that we said this off season that he's a no doubt homer guy um yes. you know not not some sort of just enough guy that needs uh that needs a nice home park so um, you know, we, we definitely were, were fans of him going in and, you know, at 27, is there an asterisk? Uh, also his play in the outfield is pretty atrocious. Um, I've seen it and, and I know why people talk about him being, uh, disinterested in baseball or having bad body language because I've seen him, you know, make a bad play on a ball like the Hanley Ramirez where, where Hanley yeah. Ramirez just spiked the ball the other day. And then he like kind of walked away, and Mookie Betts had to pick up the ball and throw it in. So bizarre. Uh, so bizarre. I've seen Justin Upton kind of wave at a ball and then just sort of look back as the you know as the center fielder picks it up for him. So um, you know that's kind of weird. Uh, there are there is a lot of streakiness in his game. We've seen this before. I think that's probably related a little bit to his strikeout rate and some of his adjustments he has to make. But you know, great hitters have to make adjustments back and forth and. I think the difference between like this, this, the upper upper echelon and the middle echelon is how quickly you make those adjustments. And we've talked about Brandon Belt and how he's kind of slow to make these adjustments. Right now, Brandon Belt is a slap hitter to the opposite field, and his BABIP is up. 
um, you know, and you know, how long until they start busting him inside and then we have to wait another month and then he'll start hitting the, the homers again. So, um, you know, I think that's why Brandon Belt, even though he's been okay, he's just, he's just a slow adjuster. Whereas, uh, you know, I think Upton sometimes is a slow adjuster, you know, and, and that's, that's where you get the, the, the bad, you know, the bad times. But if you look up at the end of the year, it's always good. Yeah. Um, but and, you're making uh, a good point about how sometimes, Oh, is that a walk off James McCann? Is that boom? Oh. James McCann, such a beast. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I think you're making a good point with regards to that star to superstar. It's a little bit about his long-term. Exactly. No, how it, how much past 30 do you want to own him? Uh, I think you still, the next three years are probably good. Uh, the, the other side of the bell curve may have, you know, a 30% strikeout rate in there. Um, that, and, yeah, and that's true. Ben. Um, one thing, uh, I was going to say about him too, that's interesting is he's not yet, uh, and this is Justin Upton. I'm sorry for the, the James McCann detour there. Um, with Justin Upton, he's not even raking lefties yet. And that's something that he's done throughout his career. He's got a tiny sample against them, only 26 plate appearances, 692 OPS. There's no reason that that won't, that that won't improve kind of to where the levels that, that he's been at before 918 for his career. Um, just as he gets more exposure to lefties, I think he'll continue to rake them. So if he holds up against right-handers the way he has been, then, then we might see that, that, that dream season from Justin Upton. But the point you make about the adjustments, if he can't make them quick enough, then he'll probably have that, that one busted month last year. It was June well, and September, really, uh, 617 and 559 OPS. Neither of those were too good. So he's got to kind of avoid that that 600 or sub-600 uh, OPS season, and then we could see the superstar, super elite, top 10 sort of season for Justin Upton. Very excited about uh, his start. All right, you know, my next guy here, I got a quiz for you. Well, the, you, you've already got the answer, but it's, it's still going to blow your mind. I'll let, I'll let everyone else try to guess. There are seven guys who are on uh, the top 20 for both runs and RBIs. Don't ask me why I picked that. I, there's no real rhyme or reason. They're not always interrelated. Obviously, there's some relation to them. But to be on the top 20 of both is pretty good. You know? You're know, you you're probably not surprised. I'm going to tell you that Adrian Gonzalez is on that. Bryce Harper leads both lists. Um, Justin Upton, the previously mentioned. Uh, Nelson Cruz, Paul Goldschmidt. None of these are surprising you. Eric Hosmer might be a little bit of a surprise, but then you realize how great they've been, and you're not going to be surprised. You know who will surprise you? One of his other teammates, one of Eric Hosmer's other teammates is on that list. Go ahead and try to guess who it is, folks. Got two seconds. Go ahead. No, it wasn't Mike Moustakis, you stupid idiots. It was Kendris <laughs> Morales. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys aren't stupid idiots. That was a good guess. Uh, but that was that was the guess. That would be the guess that I think everybody would make. Uh, or Kane, maybe. Uh, Moustakas or Kane. And it's neither of them. It's Kendris Morales, you know. He's been unbelievable. And again, top 20 on both the run scored and driven in list. Four homers, um, an AL best, 15 doubles, 294 average. I mean, he's looking like the guy we saw before. Uh, the the walk off grand slam. To be honest, he's he's looking excellent. First off, we're many years removed from that guy though, and so can we trust the 32 year old Kendris Morales to continue to be very good? Are you buying this or what? It's so weird. I mean, he's got a really weird thing going on where he has this the swinging strike rate of a of a power hitter, um, and you would expect his strikeout rate to be much worse than it is. I mean, at 12. 11% swing strike rate. His career is 10.5, and yet he has a better than average uh, strikeout rate. And I think part of that is he's aggressive. You know, he's a, he's not a walker. He's not a patient guy, and he just gets out there and he and he gets out in front and tries to hit it. Um, and it, it's something that worked for Josh Hamilton early in his career. It seems to be something that you can manipulate, but in his case, um, you know, pitchers haven't really found the the way to manipulate him that well. Uh, I just don't believe in his power necessarily. So, you know, it's kind of this weird uh, 20 home run power yeah. where you kind of don't know, is it going to be 16 or is it going to be 20 or is it going to be 25? And, you know, every little home run in there, every little home run counts, period. But since he's not going to run at all um, and um, he's not necessarily going to keep up this on-base percentage he's got right now, uh, which will, you know, dampen down his runs in the future. 
that means his value comes solely from batting average and home runs. The strikeout rate is related to that that batting average, so I wouldn't necessarily you know say he's going to continue with a 290 batting average. So how many home runs is he going to hit? He has four, you know, on pace for you know 16 to 18. Let's see what the uh, what the projections say on Kendris Morales for the rest of the season here. Two sixty eleven. With eleven or twelve, yeah. Um, so that's that. Yeah, that's that sixteen number. For like a twelve team league, that's very league average. That's, yep. uh, uh I would say that's exactly league average. I think that I've seen something that league average uh, for per lineup slot in a twelve team mixer the last couple of years is something like two sixty eighteen and five. Um, and he's not going to give you the five stolen bases, so he needs to give you that extra batting average help just to get to average. So it's very average. Well, uh, let me ask got you no this: value. the 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 entree into discussing him was, of course, the runs and RBIs, and they're going to smooth out. He's not going to score 113, or excuse me, 117 runs and drive in a buck 30. But you know, if the, this offense looks for real, and I'm just wondering yeah. how high can those two get? Can he do 90-90? Because that's going to make that would make up for a lot of power deficiency, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, where is he hitting in the lineup? Um, there's been a lot of heart of the order, uh, fourth and fifth. Oh, it's, it's, excuse me, been mostly fifth. Um, I, th- I thought well, there was I thought there was I'll more him, fourth. I'll give him 90 to 100 RBI. Okay, and then, and then uh, something like 70 runs. Only 70. Okay. Yeah, I guess f- fifth spot, and uh, you got to be banking on the bot. Bottom of the lineup to to do the I mean, work I think there. Mustakas is going to regress some, and I'm sure Mustakas hits behind him. Mustakas hits two. That's just so weird. Why? Because I mean, look at with the skills that he's putting up, it's working. Yeah, it's that, this year, this year he's a little different. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, dumb question. Oh, Gordon, I, Gordon hits behind him. Yeah, I, I asked why in the context of, of this year's Moustakis. Any other year to hear that, that he hits – that Moustakis hits second would be hilarious. But this year with 9% Ks, 5% walk, which isn't good, but when you're only 9% Ks, yeah. you can live with it and just crushing everything. Ooh, Chase Utley triple. He's he's not dead after all. Um, so, yeah, M- Morales is somebody that – here's the thing. I just hang on to him because you probably got him for nothing and you're getting plus value. You could go out and try to sell them, but what are you really going to get? You know, what, yeah. what what's anybody really going to give you that you're going to be so excited that you wouldn't just rather take the net value um, of having him? You know, I, I just I just don't know that you're going to be able to go out and and get anybody to give you something big, especially because his big value right now is in the two categories that people overlook, especially runs, but also RBIs. Thirty two doesn't really jump off the page. If he had ten homers right now, people would be like, oh, Kendris Morales. Now I got to take a look. But it, as is, I say just sit tight with him. He's been he's been good, um, and and that's that that's it right, right now. Would, would you rather someone asked me Lucas Duda before the two homers today? I said I'd rather Lucas Duda. I I, um, I would I would rather I would rather have Lucas Duda even if he didn't hit two homers today for sure. How about uh, Billy Butler? Um, I'm kind of wondering what's the difference. The only the the only thing is that I, I'm starting to really believe in that KC offense, and the Oakland offense could be dismantled. If they continue to struggle, it could be dismantled, and that's really going to depress the the runs and RBIs totals for Butler. I think Butler's mostly back to the the guy before uh, last year. Um, you know, maybe a little bit lower average because of that ballpark, but but still his whatever 15 homers. But yeah, I'm gonna go Morales because of a better offense. Yeah, that's close though. Uh, all right, last guy we're gonna talk about is George Springer, and. Uh, you know he's having an interesting year. The fact that they're doing so well despite their their you know middle of the order hitters hitting sub 200, both uh, Chris Carter or excuse me, all of Chris Carter, Evan Gaddis, and George Springer are all sub 200, and uh, they you know the the fact that they've been so great still is is pretty crazy. Fantasy wise though, George Springer's still been great if you can if you can withstand the average six homers, ten stolen bases, you know that's got him on a fantastic pace. What's going on with George Springer, though? I mean, I know we, we all expected a low batting average, but th- that the 240 is one thing. 195 is quite another. Yeah, I think it's a it's a uh, well. There's a couple things going on in terms of the batting average. Uh, I think it's a fastball problem, and I wrote about this for Jabo a couple weeks back. But um, you know, a couple people, uh, you know, Dan Farnsworth said that. Um, 
that uh, he, that he's got a fastball problem because he tries to muscle up. He, he muscles up uh, and he and he uh. and he swings a little bit hard. What's that? No, no, I'm 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 reacting to your point about that 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 how he's trying to muscle up too often and and it's burning. Yeah, up. because if you look at so if you look at his his strike his whiff rates per pitch type, right? Of course they're all bad because he whiffs a lot. But um, if you look at his whiff rates on the change in the curve, they're only about 40 to 50 percent worse than league average. On the slider and the split, they're about 70 percent worse than league average. So you're thinking, okay, that's good. How bad could it be for the four seamer? Well. Uh, almost three times worse than league average. He whiffs eighteen oh, percent wow. of the time on on four seamers, and that's almost three times the league average. And uh, the cutter is at two sixty four uh, indexed, and the sinker is at two thirty. So the sinker, the cutter, and the four seamer, he 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 whiffs at at least double, almost three times as much as uh, as the. As the league. So. You know, he's got a fastball problem, and it shows up in his pitch-type values, too. Uh, he's got great pitch-type values against the curveball and the change, um, and, and yet he's having this problem against the fastball. And for what it's worth, you know, with a toolsy guy like that, you'd think that he would smash fastballs. And, uh, and you know, when I talked to his hitting coach, uh, Dave Hudgens, and I talked to Dan Farnsworth about it, they thought, you know, that they'd seen easier swings out of Springer in batting practice. So maybe it's a... He needs a little bit of confidence in order to just swing basically his batting practice swing against the fastball um, and put an easy swing on it and not necessarily uh, and not miss it. So I think uh, <clears throat> that explains a little bit of the crazy strikeout problem and a little bit of uh, the batting average and, 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 you know, maybe the BABIP a little bit. On the flip side, the BABIP is a maybe a different story in that, you know, He's got a couple things going on there. He's not hitting the ball as far or as not, hard. Not, yeah, big time difference. He was third last year in in batted ball di- distance, and this year it's dropped to 112. And I think uh, the numbers I quoted you was at a 31 foot drop um, on average. There, let me see if I can pull that up. But I think it was 309 to 278 there. Uh, so a, a substantial drop for him uh, for George Springer this year. And so not that, hitting as far. But the nice thing is he's uh, he's not he hasn't hit a single pop up this year. Oh, interesting. He's uh, in the um, Joey Votto school of hitting. Yeah, twenty four percent line drives, zero pop ups, uh, and his hard percentage is still you know five ten percent over league average. So you know there's a lot to like about his batted ball makes. He's still twenty four percent home runs per fly ball. So um, you know there's a lot to like. He's still the toolsy guy that can make a lot out of his uh, the times he does make contact. He can make a lot when he gets on base. He can make a lot of that. Um, and I think it's a decent time to buy him, actually, because, you know, at his age, 25, he's still got a year or two uh, where he can improve the strikeout rate and can improve um, his approach to the play when it comes to the fastballs and whiffs and stuff. That'd be and nice. I think that he's still in the next three years, I think he's still got a season where he can hit 250, 260 with like 30 homers and, you know, 20 steals. I agree. Although Jason and I were hoping that was this year when we took him in labor. <laughs> and uh, maybe it still will be, but or probably not the 260. That that would that would take a lot of work to get all the way up there, even even with uh, just 35 games on the docket for, for Springer. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm still buying. I'm still interested. You know, I mentioned earlier, oh, we're willing to accept 240. The thing is, when you're dealing with a 30-something percent strikeout rate, you are inviting the potential for for a sub Mendoza line uh, average. I mean, it, it's just there. We we talk about it with Gaddis and Carter. It shouldn't be any different with Springer then. So I, I guess I shouldn't be so surprised that a 195 is in play in a short sample because that's what happens if you're striking out in the upper 20s, lower 30s. Uh, all right, you know that's going to wrap us up. We're going to head into to the long weekend. Um, Obviously, have some Memorial Day time off. I'm sure you're going to have a baseball-filled weekend, but we'll be back on Tuesday. Jason and I will still be back on Sunday despite the holiday. Uh, but until then, you know, take care. Yeah, and uh, watch some baseball, grill some food, enjoy uh, hopefully summer weather. Hopefully nice weather. We've been getting rained on here in Texas. I can't complain too much. We're so rain-starved. we got to take it when we can get it, but it's been a couple weeks. I'm hoping for some nice Mid nineties and uh, and and sun though on the, on the weekend. All right. And after you know. after going to 
after going to Disneyland and my six-month-old getting bronchitis and my, my three-month-old getting all hopped up on sugar and lack of nap uh, <laughs> and uh, just being super tired, waking up in the middle of the night with a screaming, feverish baby and uh, being all over San Diego and L.A. and trying to go to trying to work at the same time, go to parks and, and interview people and and then, you know, you know, drink beers in San Diego. Uh, I'm just going to I don't I have say, a good weekend at home. I was going to say, it sounds like you're looking <laughs> forward to a Monday in front of the TV with it, with some beers. I'm taking some naps. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but anytime that you say that your kid got bronchitis, I think of the ain't nobody got time for that lady. Uh, are you familiar with that meme? Yeah. And I just picture like a, a, a mini Eno going, ain't nobody got time for that. And just walking around the house, like coughing a little bit. And I, that, that's what I do. Uh, when, whenever you say your kid's got bronchitis, I think of, uh, I think her name was Sweet Brown. I, that lady, that meme is, is my best, is my favorite. She, she was on Tosh.0 and, and was really chill about it. She seemed to embrace the fact that, that she was an internet star. Uh, and it was, it was pretty hilarious. But I hope your kid gets better. I'm not trying to make light of the fact that your kid No, it's, it's the six-month-old. So he, he, was, uh, he was pretty sad about the whole thing. But now he's come out the other side. And uh, he, even though he's only seven months old, he's cruising, which means he's, he's pulling himself up on, uh, on tables and, and like, uh, uh -oh. starting to walk. So oh, I remember when my niece started doing that. It's so funny. But it's probably a handful for the parents. It's funny when you're the uncle who can leave after a few hours. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with him. Keep yeah, an eye on that's when it's funny. You should watch out. They're climbing everywhere, but I, I, I babysat for two hours, so have a good day. Okay, bye. Uh, <laughs> all right, you know, we got to get out of here. Uh, we'll be back in a couple days. Have a great weekend. See ya.